This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. Oh! <laughs> oh, EMS 2020. So here's the thing, like Spence and I, we were kind of, we were pre-doing this and I could tell I'd done a couple starts and he was kind of like waiting to pounce. So I knew there was an interruption coming. And so he started laughing and then that's why I tried to shoot it out to get ahead of him. So I got most of the intro there before you, uh, before you, you cut me off. Uh, but anyway, welcome to another episode of uh, EMS 2020. Um, thank you everyone for letting us know that going to the bi-weekly schedule is your absolute favorite thing that you've ever seen. Um, we've got nothing but positive feedback about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's entirely false. And, well, but, it, but it has been bad. Most of you, actually, I do want to say you guys have been very understanding of that. Um, I know a lot of you guys are really looking forward uh, to the... Re- so the main reason we did this was so we could make some other content. And I know a lot of you guys are really looking forward uh, to that. Uh, we are having a YouTube channel pop up. It's going to be EMS 2020's Rapid Sequence Information YouTube channel. And it's nice because it gives us a chance to really be creative. And we talked about how we're going to have individual lessons, that kind of stuff on there. And we did get some feedback from you guys saying like, yeah, but we can get that from a lot of YouTube channels. Like you guys are the only ones consistently doing case reviews in a hilarious way. Well, I also want to clarify, we're going to be having some stuff that you can't get on other YouTube channels. Uh, we're going to be talking about things like, for example, example, one of the episodes we're going to have coming up uh, on there is going to be, hey, should private ambulance exist? And uh, <laughs> private for profit ambulance mm, exist. Yeah. Yep, Shots we, fired. Yep. Uh, we have that one coming up. So they are going to be very entertaining. So don't worry. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing that we're going to be able to do is uh, we will talk about stuff that comes up in EMS 2020 and those kind of topics. And we will uh, talk about case reviews still uh, to some degree there. And we'll also talk about things that are in the news, like the Redonda Vought case, where the nurse uh, ended up uh, accidentally giving the wrong drug and is now in jail for it. So we talk about that. Uh, also, if you want an amazing take on that, head on over to our friends at the Found Down podcast. Yeah. Yeah, they do an amazing take. So Found Down podcast is run by an ICU nurse. Uh, her name is Nicole Johnson. And uh, Nicole Johnson uh, also works in an ICU. She brought on another ICU nurse and they talked about it. And it, it's the take you really need to hear. So it's yeah. a yeah, it, it really is a, a good episode. So go check that out. Uh, and yeah, it's a very impactful thing going on in the nursing community right now that uh, paramedics need to pay attention to. So there you go. And EMTs and everyone really healthcare providers, period, need to pay attention to. Uh, so with yeah. that, please follow us on social media, EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, EMS 2020 show on Instagram. Every single episode gets its own post. And that is where people go to talk about it. And you guys do talk about it. And we love it. We love interacting with you guys there. If you want your call to end up on this show, because that is what we do. We review calls and we talk about how we can either learn from them uh, or do better uh, send it into ems2020 podcast at gmail.com and we will have a look at it we will absolutely uh, do our best to get back to you if we're going to be using it uh, as an episode um, let's see also of course if you want free continuing education and of course you do because you have to have continuing education to be a first responder uh, yeah. go over to guardiancme.com at guardiancme.com, all of the continuing education is free. And thanks to the NREMT changing their standards, you can now get all of your continuing education for your recertification online. And since you can get everything for free in guardiancme.com, you can practically now research for free. So head on over to guardiancme.com. You can find our shows on there that you can listen to and get continuing education for. That's 
an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, go check them out. They're, uh, they're huge supporters of our show. We're huge supporters of them. Uh, great company. So go check them out. So with that, Spence, anything? Anything before we start? Mm, you know, it's kind of cold today. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we should probably talk about that for 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, ten, you know what? Let's just do the episode about how Spencer's cold. <laughs> yeah. So, it's cold in my garage, damn it. We are in... <laughs> I know you said garage, but that was night. at first it sounded like you said, it's cold in my crotch. Uh, <laughs> That's just a different episode. For those of you, for those of you that don't know, we are based in the United States and we are based in the Northwest. And we recently had freak snow in April. But uh, anyway, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a thing. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so we've had, it's, it's like freakishly cold in April for us, which is normally when things start warming up. Uh, it's wet, but it'll be warm and wet at least. Yeah. With that, Spence, bring the call. All right. Today's call comes to us from a paramedic who at the time of this call was two years into their practice. Um, prior to becoming a paramedic, they told us that they were an EMT for one year and they worked at a small agency that did non-emergent medical like stretcher transports, essentially. This okay. is the inner facility. You know, um, like moving people f- to dialysis, taking people home on a stretcher, gotcha. that kind of stuff. Okay. Sounds um, good. People that can't yeah, get to the doctor's appointment unless they're on a stretcher. Got it. Exactly. Um, but now they work for an ambulance company doing 911 transports. I have dubbed them Cookie. Sweet. Yeah. All right, Cookie. cookie. Uh, yeah, cookie is kind of sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it depends on the cookie, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like a sloppy uh, Joe on. cookie is not. What? Have. What? Where the fuck are you finding a sloppy Joe cookie? <laughs> what, what kind of cookie are you eating, man? Like, I don't know, man. I go to some fucked up bakeries, apparently. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Steak cookie. Find me a non-sweet cookie. That's. <laughs> I just did. I am 90% certain I just did. I found you a savory cookie. <laughs> All right, back. Oh, uh, this is a state with legal weed. That's that's how these things happen. Anyway, I, what, cookie no, works. I am. So, oh no, that's how the cookies made. I must be like, I am sober, and I generally don't. Yeah, like that's not weed's not even a thing I do. <laughs> Chris, you know you've doth protest too much. Maybe that's all I'm gonna say. All right, all right. Cookie works on a private ambulance alongside a paramedic partner. I've named Granola Bar. Nice. Granola B is reported to be a longtime paramedic. <laughs> so they're additionally, <laughs> right? Granola B, yo. Yeah. Uh, who additionally has critical care training, which they acquired from a previous service that they worked at. Um, I should also mention that Granola Bar is not Cookie's regular partner, but that they have worked together before. Uh, Cook- Cookie works for a small city that has about eight ambulances on during the day, four on at night, although recently it's more like three, two. <laughs> um, nice. This this area is a mix of urban and rural. The staff typically run between six to ten calls in a twelve hour window, um, and and Cookie says their shifts easily can turn into thirteen or fourteen hour days. Hey, did I miss it, or is this like a system status management, or do they have stations? Um, or more later, I, I should shut up and listen. Uh, they, so more later, you should shut up and listen. We'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, they typically run EMT paramedic shifts, but there are sick calls, etc., and so they do occasionally staff medic medic. Uh, cool. 
like in today's call, there are two hospitals in their city area, one of which is their STEMI stroke trauma, like in catchment, um, though many of those patients do get flown or transported out to another hospital, which is like two plus hours away by ground. Okay. Um, and and at the start of their shifts, the crews deploy out of uh, their headquarters to various fire stations and respond to calls from that location. Uh, they oh, don't have cool. beds, but the stations do provide them with like chairs, tables, bathrooms, and importantly access to coffee oh yeah because yeah, you said these are 12 hour uh, shifts i mean they go to 13 yeah. 14 but they're scheduled 12s okay yeah but you know you can't have cookies and granola bar without coffee right that's that's sacrilege 100 man i agree yeah um assisting the crews on the call is the fire department the fire department typically has at least one paramedic per shift and i was told that the fire paramedics are usually pretty helpful on calls so nice well that that's good and i'll, I'll tell you so these systems uh, if you have a community that this type of system serves well, where you have a private ambulance company that staffs an ambulance at fire stations, um, depending on court, I mean, call, I mean, too much, too many calls can, can ruin any setup from an employee perspective. Uh, but, uh, these are actually pretty fun systems to work in because you still get the kind of that busyness of a, you know, busier system where you get that, that yeah. experience. But at the same time, like, you have a home and you have a place to get coffee and take a crap, you know, and like do those kind of mm. things. So it's yeah. like, my only question to you is once they, once they go to a station, do they stay at that station for the day or is it, or do they basically use the station like post where they may move throughout the day? So I asked cookie this and the, my understanding is for the most part, they try and stay at the stations they're at. Nice. They do occasionally get moved to other stations. If you know, like but that uh, someone sense. goes on a long out of town or something it may, like yeah, that. You um, got to yeah. prioritize it as an, what yeah. you have to do is you have to serve the community and making, by making sure you have ambulances in the right spot. And you either do that by extra staffing uh, or by moving the ambulances uh, that you have. And I don't know about you Spence, uh, but uh, knowing what the staffing situation is these days, moving ambulances <laughs> seems to be the, uh, <laughs> Uh, most likely, yeah. So yeah. anyway, well, awesome. And I, and quite frankly, man, good on you for asking that question. I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, I think I'm rubbing off on you a little bit. Yeah, well, I know I, it's sort of like when you go to the hospital and you're like, I don't care about this answer, but I know the nurse will. So I'm going to ask it on scene. <laughs> that nice. way, when I get to the ER, I get my cookie. Nice. Uh, speaking of cookie, it's about 923 in the morning when cookie and granola bar are dispatched out to a possible overdose at a private residence. Oh, by the way, they started their shift at 8 a.m. and have won uh, and have won one call. Already. They, they won, won one call. They won it. Nice. <laughs> they won the they call. They lose. ran. Yes. Perfect. Oof. They won the call. We're, All right. They won the call, uh, which uh, Cookie believes was a chest pain. Gotcha. So. So they're essentially go. back to back at this point. They've had one call since 8 a.m. and now they're at 923 and they have another. So they're back to back at this point. Are they are they at their station? Or are they coming from a hospital at this point? They are actually coming from their station. OK, sweet. All right. So the dispatcher uh, response times, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The dispatcher reports that the patient is a 73 year old female who is found unresponsive next to an empty pill container of oxycodone. That never fucking happens. I I mean, I'm glad it did. But how fucking obvious is that? Like NRMT writes this one all the time. You find them down next to drug paraphernalia. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying, like, more often Today than not, did. you don't find them. <laughs> That's right. 
Right. Uh, the 911 caller is the patient's grandson. There is no need to stage. No police are added to the call. Uh, Cookie will be the PIC on this call as it's their turn to take the patient. Um, additionally responding is the engine from the station, uh, which they are at. Um, and there are actually two paramedics on this engine. One of the paramedics is Captain Donut. And the other is, of course, <laughs> Donut Hole. <laughs> That's nice. Captain Donut and Donut Hole. Oh, boy. That really says something about the relationship between those two. <laughs> um, yes. Complete maybe. Me. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. How can you have you can't have a donut without a donut hole? Yeah. Wrap right. your brain around that one. Yeah. There mm. you go. All right. So the residence is a bit of a drive to get to. It takes about 10 minutes uh, to arrive on scene going code three. Which is uh, license sirens, says, correct? Correct. Okay. Cookie says that they discussed overdoses, um, intentional and unintentional, but really focused specifically on like, yeah, it's narcotics. So Narcan, um, but really like otherwise didn't do much pre-gaming like prior to the call. Okay. They arrive to the residence at the same time as the engine, grab their gear and their gear, by the way, is a like their cardiac monitor, a first in bag, which kind of has like like we've like a lot of agencies. It's a lot of the same stuff, drugs, IV stuff, IO stuff, bandaging, Braslow tape, etc. Um, they do have an airway bag with an O2 bottle in it, cannulas and non rebreathers. Uh, Cookie really wanted to. Uh, Really wanted you to know that, by the way. So, because <laughs> that's where it goes. That's exactly <laughs> DL intubation stuff, and they also have a flow meter CPAP. Okay. Um, and of course, they have their stretcher slash cot. They call it cot. I'm just used to the term stretcher. So. I'm going to define uh, the uh, the flow meter CPAP. What that specifically means for people that aren't aware. Um, so, if you know what a CPAP is, it's continuous uh, positive airway pressure. Uh, you give it for people who are having a hard time breathing in, in different cases. Uh, it's a mass that goes on and basically just provides a constant pressure. Uh, flow meter, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is a version of the CPAP that relies on oxygen flow to generate pressure. So it usually comes with a car or some kind of cheat sheet that says, hey, you know, 15 liters per minute will equal this much pressure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and my warning for those still stands is that those ones are, are very approximate. And because it's it's using it, it, basically it's using volume to generate pressure. And the hard part about that is because it doesn't actually sense how much pressure it's giving out in many cases, um, if you have someone who's taking in larger volume breaths because they're either a larger person, then it may not be generating the pressure it says. And it also goes the other way. If they're taking small, small volume breaths because they are a smaller person, it may be generating more pressure. So just be aware that there are some slight changes in, yeah. in these things. It just really monitor your patient. So if you find yourself having to crank up the pressure on those things um, it, because you have a larger patient or they seem to be taking high volume breaths, that could be why. And the pressure may not be as high as you think it is. So anyway, moving yeah. on. All right. So uh, while they're grabbing all their stuff, the fire department heads in uh, carrying in their own first in bag. Mm. So. Um, the house is described as a fairly large two-story home. There's a cement staircase, which curves up from the driveway to the front door with, which has, uh, you know, 10 plus steps. Additionally, there is an attached garage that like could be accessed if need be. Um, there allegedly are a set of very narrow, but you know, at least not curved, uh, steps, which nice. go yes. into the, like from the garage into the home. Um, the ambulance crew, they, what they end up doing is they just park their stretcher or their cot. <laughs> 
at the base of the steps and carry their kits up the uh, curved steps and through the open front door. Sounds like going to the Midwest and asking for a pop or a soda. I, you know, <laughs> uh, but at least we're not asking for a Coke, right? <laughs> what yeah, flavor of Coke? <laughs> Coke flavored asshole. Oh, I'm just man. There's, there's a really funny TikTok video from a guy who does like the yeah, stuff the, on that. The, anyway. nope, exactly. That is exactly what I was thinking of. Because yeah, at the very end, the guy comes in and says Coke, and then the other two guys are like, you know what, pops not bad. Yeah, soda is yeah, a great drink. Yeah, soda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least we're not that monster. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, so they enter the front door and step into a large living room space. Uh, Cookie described the house as like very clean, tidy. Um, nice. You know, uh, from further in the home, they hear the like, ma'am, open your eyes. Uh, so they go like, hmm, probably that direction. So they, yeah, they head that direction, turn a corner and find themselves in a large kitchen dining area. And in a nearby guest room that's sort of like off of that area is a bedroom where in which the patient will be located. It would be awesome if it wasn't like if it was just right. something completely unrelated. <laughs> Ma'am, open your eyes. Oh, hey, no, no, this is uh, we actually run an optometrist office out of this place. You, you're, <laughs> you're two doors down is where you want. All right. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, eyes are really dilated. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> right. Uh, what? Why is everyone wearing those crazy spacey sunglasses? Anyway, you're sitting there giving drugs. Of- okay, is this better or worse? <laughs> One or two? Okay. One of the EMT firefighters is talking with a 50s female. This is going to be the daughter-in-law of the patient and her late teens, early 20s son uh, out in that like dining area. But the EMT sees the ambulance crew tell and like tells the family, oh, hey, talk to them because they're going to be the ones doing the transport and they'll need to hear the story. Um, so Cookie tells Granola like, all right, hey, you go see what's going on with the patient and I'll get the story from the family. So Granola and that EMT like head into that bedroom to go do that. And here is the story that cookie got from the family. All right. So this was given to, uh, this is the history of present illness given to cookie by the daughter. Uh, after he opened with one of my favorite opening questions, which is, so what's going on today? Yeah. And here's what we learn. The patient is a 73 year old female who is staying with her son. The son, of course, is out of town and uh, and, you know, her, the daughter in law, uh, after having a recent fall in her own home, which resulted in a hairline fracture of her right arm. Okay. Uh, this happened about three or days or three or four days prior. And the patient has been taking prescribed oxycodone for her pain uh, because the patient's son is out of town and the daughter in law is working full time. The couple asked their newly minted adult son um if he would stay and help out caring for grandma you know opening jars getting her food drink that sort of stuff so newly minted um, adult son he's most he's recently an adult he's not like they didn't just find an adult and say this is now our adult son <laughs> <laughs> yes yes the, gotcha. uh, the the son is of an age mm. in which he could do this uh Presumably. But the son's been their uh, son for for quite some time now. Okay, perfect. Yes, the son is. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. This is not the like. I just imagine hey, someone's man, driving through. You a want mall. a job? Yeah, <laughs> about thirty-seven. Yeah, get him. You're our son now. Hey, I really don't want. Yeah, you're our son now. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, 
per both the uh, daughter-in-law and the grandson, the patient seems to have tolerated the like her medication well, though she is reported to get a little bit uh, loopy after taking her medications. Um, you know, like telling the same story twice, getting confused as to what she was doing and that sort of thing. Um, yesterday, the grandson noticed that her loopiness seemed to get worse and noticed that the patient needed more assistance in her day. Um, the daughter-in-law noted that the patient didn't seem to have much of an appetite last night during dinner. Um, and this morning when the grandson went to check on her, uh, she normally is up before he is, uh, he found her unresponsive in bed with, a an empty pill bottle on the floor. Cookie does ask the possibility of like, like of if there was trauma and the family report, they don't believe the patient has fallen like in their home. Um, Cookie asks the family, like, hey, is there anything else you, like, you think uh, I or the hospital should know? Which I think is a great question. And the grandson says that the patients had some bouts of coughing in the last few days. But, like, they all believe, the family and the patient and everybody believe that it's related to the, like, temperature and humidity of, like, her, their home. Because yeah. uh, it's colder and drier, I guess. So, uh, past medical history, uh, outside of the hairline fracture from the fall, recent fall, there's a right hip replacement. She has a history of a left knee replacement. And of course, the recent fall, she's only prescribed oxycodone, which she's taking, and she is allergic to sulfa antibiotics. Okay. All right. So, Chris, what are your thoughts so far? Is there more that you would want to know from this history? Well, there's definitely, uh, well, in terms of the history, I mean, there's, there's definitely kind of a lot here and I'm going to kind of jump into my typical like approach to AMS that I've mentioned on several episodes, but I'm going to mention it again because it's important to be consistent. Uh, Cause it, you know, this is it, it, an altered mental status call and altered mental status calls actually still remain one of my favorite calls. Not because I'm particularly good at them, uh, but just because there's, there's a lot of, you have to do a lot more detective work. I feel, you know what I mean? Like sure. uh, a lot of complaints kind of have a more narrow focus versus this one's like, Oh gosh, like there are so many different things. I mean, if you think about it, like chest pain or MI, that could all lead to altered mental status. I mean, when it's altered mental status, everything's on the table. So the first thing I always look at is, does it have fuel? Is it getting blood? Uh, all right, so that's, you know, I'm going to want to know these things. We haven't gotten there yet, but you know, I'm going to want to know, like, is it getting blood? Is that oxygenated blood? Does that blood have sugar? Cause if yeah. you're lacking those things, they're going to be altered, you know? Um, but another thing, then we start kind of looking at is like, all right, is it broken? Do we have a history of trauma or stroke? Uh, and then we have, you know, is it intoxicated after that? And those last, I mean, we got to get to the vital signs here, but it's those last two categories that I'm mostly kind of thinking this is going to go now given do not skip things you know we've talked about this all the time that's the four-year medic thing is to start skipping two conclusions without checking the other things first but uh someone who has had a recent history of a fall uh or things like a break there's a chance for there to be some clotting problems right yeah and so if we're developing clots uh, and it looks like she's not on any sort of anticoagulant, so it's certainly certainly uh, capable. Then we really need to really think about things like stroke. And if she's altered, it may be difficult to assess. But we've talked about this in the past. Watch how the patient moves their extremities if they move their extremities at all. Even if you can't complete a stroke scale because they they're not able to for whatever reason, they don't comprehend you, um, or they're just not able to follow instructions. See if they move extremities and kind of go from there. Uh, that is something to look at. The other thing too is she does have a prescription. It looks like for oxycodone, which on someone it looks like they don't take a lot of medications. This may be a new prescription for them. They may not be used to it. They may have taken too much. Um, it sounds like she's been a bit loopy lately. And so, yeah, yeah. there's uh, there's some possibilities here. Um, 
The only other thing, though, that's really kind of, uh, you know, kind of jumping on me here is also in that second category when I talk about is it broken. Um, I'm kind of looking at because of how this patient seems to be trending, you know, because we're talking about like it started yesterday. It looked like we had some issues. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The loopiness. Yeah. That that does kind of pull me away from things like, uh, you know, the CVA or narcotics overdose, because those are things that usually tend to come on in an acute fashion. Uh, And so when we're looking at something progressive, I start leaning more towards things like sepsis. My only other question would be uh, trauma, because if if we have a brain bleed, a slow one or something going on, um, there would be there's potential for that to also have a gradual onset as well. So I'd really want to know about trauma. I think you said I didn't write it down, but I think you said somebody asked about it and they said they don't think so that the patient's fallen. And it sounds like they've had somebody with her pretty much. For the last few days, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. From from the telling that, you know, I heard it, it sounds like this is a patient who they would expect would be able to be like, hey, I fell. Gotcha. Um, you know, normally. Yeah. yeah. Plus, plus, she's had people checking up on her. So, okay. So, yeah. Exactly. If they're saying like, hey, it falls unlikely, then that moves to unlikely. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of where I'm looking at. Um, I'm, I'm thinking because of graduate onset, I think sepsis needs to be high, high on the suspicion list. Um, but also, we can't really rule out CVA or even, of course, the overdose. So, let's uh, let's check out their assessment. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you here. I'll jump on the, the things that stand out to me are, all right, we have the pills and if the pills are all gone and mm-hmm. there's no accounting for them, then sure. yep, like that, that could definitely be it. Um, I, you know, the cough makes me kind of go like, huh. Um, oh, you did say there were missing that, pills, didn't you? Yeah. That, well, yeah. they, they just found the empty container on the floor with the patient on the bed. That's um, right. That's, so. that's right. And then I to your point about that thing that never happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to your point about previous trauma, um, what we don't know and Ed Cookie didn't know is if the patient had hit her head with the initial insult. Oh, you very know good. what I mean? Very good point. Because um, we don't know if like, hey, did she hit her head then? And like they did a CT or maybe they didn't do a CT. And, you know, and then yeah. she, like you said, she has that slow bleed kind of building up because um, that could also do that. Yeah. So that those are the things that I'd be thinking about going into it. Um, and you hit them all. So sweet deal. All right, let's do it. Sweet. All right. So Cookie heads to the bedroom after getting report from the family and they find the following. Uh, The patient presents lying supine in bed, appearing very pale, um, ashen colored, does not appear to be responsive, though her eyes are described as being open. Um, she has a non rebreather on her face running at 15 liters per minute. There is an EMT on one arm who's trying to get a blood pressure. Uh, Donuts is listening to lung sounds and Donut Hole is drawing up Narcan from the ambulance med kit. Okay. Um, the patient is on the monitor. There is an EKG uh, rate of about 130 beats per minute with okay. a narrow like sinus tack rhythm. Um, there is a question mark. Uh, question mark, question mark over question mark, question mark, question mark on the, uh, auto cuff. We did recently have a listener send us a picture of their monitor, which is now doing XXX over XXX. Yeah. Which no, no, not going to go there. No, 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 no. I like, I like the question mark, triple question mark over triple question mark. Yep. Very true. That's it. Very true. Yeah. X is like, that's that's how you draw dead people. That's also what they put on uh, whiskey barrels in cartoons. <laughs> exactly. You know, your monitor's yeah. drunk. Go home, monitor. You're drunk. Yeah. yeah. Or your monitor's being really inappropriate. Right. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. true. Yeah. This patient's blood pressure is rated triple X. Dun dun. <laughs> NC 17. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
All right. And of course, three dashes for the pulse oximeter reading. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Good. So that's not reading either. Yeah. Uh, CBG was checked and found to be 156 milligrams per deciliter or 8.6 millimoles. Um, I guess since we're doing the millimoles and all of that, the patient is uh, a petite 120 pound elderly mm-hmm. female. So that's 54 kilograms. Okay, uh, she is approximately five foot three or 1.6 meters okay. and wearing a classy nightgown. I don't know about <laughs> the, I don't know about the classy, yeah. but wearing wearing pajama nightgown things. Okay. All right. Granola, who is standing back by the doorway, asks Cookie what they learned for history, and Cookie gives them the summary. With Cookie going like, "All right, um, sounds like this is a possible like accidental overdose," um, you know, and their thought was, "Well, it's possible that the, the patient got loopy and just kind of forgot that she'd taken pills." Sure. He, like that's their kind of idea, but well, um, that, that's, hmm. a, that's an awful lot of missing pills. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where mm, yeah. I'm like, okay. Um, but granola responds like they don't think it's an overdose because the patient's presenting tachypnic. Her pupils were checked and appear to be four millimeters reactive. Good work. And they say, and they say they're worried about a stroke or like head bleed of some kind. Yeah. As the patient does open her eyes, but like does not respond verbally or follow commands. Okay. Um, and Cookie sh- says that they push back on that because like, hey, but then what are, like, what are we doing with the missing pills? Like, sure. what are, how are we accounting for that? Um, and that's when they notice that there actually are pills scattered on the floor. They notice a bunch of them like just kind of under the bed out of sight. <laughs> so okay. They, they, they end go. up putting this go. out to the team. <laughs> and one of the EMTs on the fire department starts gathering the floor pills up. Oh, um, goodness. Eating Meanwhile, them. Donut reports that lung sounds are shallow and diminished, and the EMT attempting a blood pressure says, like, hey, I think I hear it around 80. Uh, okay. So, systolic of 80 milligrams of mercury, or, yeah, millimeters of sure. mercury. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Chris, what do you want to do for this patient? All right. So, let's just kind of review where we're at here. Um, let's kind of talk about the brain getting fuel. So the problem here is, so we have a heart rate of 130 mm-hmm. and we have a uh, blood pressure of triple Q's over triple Q's and no pulse ox reading and which, uh, and then may, maybe 80, 80 systolic, um, yeah. which th- that, that all, that all goes together. When you have a lower blood pressure, the pulse oximeters almost always don't read uh, because they need blood to get to the very end of a finger in order to read. And yeah. so if you have a low blood pressure, the first thing that gets shut, shut off is the fingers. And so there's just, you know, that's very, very common uh, to have that. So I'm, I'm thinking like this uh, systolic of 80 may even be optimistic. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I'm looking at <laughs> right. a low blood pressure tachycardic patient um, and the CBG is normal. That's fine. Or at least it's not causing the issue here. Um, I'm actually leaning away from overdose because we found the pills uh great job on checking the pupils uh which gets missed more than more than i think people realize and also awesome job noticing the the tachypnea because the way uh narcotics overdose uh, overdoses uh, get people is by reducing that respiratory drive that's not what this patient has um what this patient does look like to me this is more and more septic and i'm getting pulled away from the trauma uh or head bleed because those we kind of typically see when we're talking about increased intracranial pressure if we're talking about a head bleed we typically see things like uh, a lowering heart rate and a blood pressure that comes up. 
Mm. And that's part of that, the, the Cushing's triad. Yeah. So uh, we're not, we're not really seeing that a uh, stroke. I'm going to kind of pull, pull stroke away from it because on a stroke, if you have like a hemorrhagic stroke, you can definitely see signs of herniation and get the Cushing's triad with a lowering heart rate and the raising BP. You can certainly have that, but it's a, if it's an occlusive stroke, you may not have those things, right? Because you're, you'll, you'll get all the, all the altered LOC and, you know, and hemiparesis of the hemorrhagic stroke without the added pressure. So that's uh yeah. So stroke is kind of going away from me. And also, again, stroke is going to be an acute onset issue. This is something that's been going over several days. So my thing for this patient is I would, I'm really set on seps at this point. One thing I would like is, is a temperature, a skin temperature. Did we get that by chance and I just missed it? Yeah. Uh, no, they did not get a temperature. Or, All right. And I did not have skin signs or like outside of pale ashen. They did. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. And here's the, like, I don't know that like, cause the other thing to understand here is this patient's critical and does have life threats present in front of us now, the way I see it. Well, by the time you look, when you look at that skin condition and you look at what we're getting in terms of perfusion uh, or signs of perfusion, they're all pretty poor. So I wouldn't bother like, well, hang on, let me stick it under her tongue guys. But I would certainly like, Hey, feel the skin. Does it feel warm? Um, yeah. And, and that, that could be a clue, but also understand that just cause the skin's not warm, that does not rule out sepsis by any stretch. Um, so yeah. it's just, it's just a clue is all that is. So at this point, I would really want to start working on establishing, um, well, I'd want to put an end title nasal cannula on her for one, cause I really want to see what that rate is. And I want to see where her end title's at too. Um, that can be done uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but I would get someone started on a line immediately. And I really want to get this patient fluid resuscitated because that is what our septic patients need. They need a lot of fluid because what I want to do is I want to drive this, uh, I want to drive this blood pressure, uh, up. Cause I think that's kind of, that's the main thing is harming her right now. Whatever she has is she's hypoperfused and she's, and she's getting altered. Yeah. What about, uh, what about cardioversion? <laughs> For no, <laughs> <laughs> you there don't want to just you know, shock them like eight times. Nope. <laughs> Sure no, don't. Okay. Sure enough. don't. Right. <laughs> well, gosh, that, 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 that's cranking back to one of our, our I think it was like our second or third episode. Yeah. yeah. Shocking mistakes. Shocking yep. mistakes. Yeah. We're at, this is yeah. like, I think we're recording episode 93 right now. 94, 93. Oh man. I, yeah. I don't even know. It's a what long time ago. To. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that's about 90 episodes ago. Yeah. We <laughs> talked about that one. That's crazy. So. All right. Well, uh, fine. Chris wants to do medicine, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, Chris <laughs> wants to administer lots of fluid. Um, they've already got the oxygen going, which I'm a huge fan of um, because I, I am one of those people. I'm like, hey, if you don't know what the sats are, just assume they're low. Because, uh, I mean, yeah. very there, there's a very small category of patients that some data may say oxygen will harm them. And it, it is borderline where we are. We are on the fence about those patients. Um, you can message me for more info on that. Um, uh, and this patient does not seem like they're one of those patients because they have almost no history. So, yeah, just fucking throw oxygen at them. It's fine. I, I, I agree. Yeah. All right. Um, so Granola asked Cookie, uh, hey, do you want an intubation? Because they strongly feel that this patient needs it. Um, hmm. uh, Cookie, who at the time said they had only like three field intubations under the belt, responded like, yeah, um, but then like confided, like they inwardly went like, oh, fuck, which I totally get. Uh, yeah, Granola tells them like, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, yes. Oh, shit. That's me. All right. Uh, so Granola tells them to go ahead, head out to the ambulance and get set up and they'll bring the patient down to them. Um, so Cookie grabs their airway kit, of course, minus the O2 bottle, right. and they head down towards the ambulance. Okay. 
So in the ambulance, Cookie gets out their DL scope with a Mac 4 blade. They get out a BVM, an end-title CO2 connector piece, um, which, excellent thought, a 10cc syringe, there's a stylet, a 7.0 and a 6.5 ET tube, mm-hmm. and a tube holder. They also said they turned on their onboard suction unit to make sure it works, and it does, and it's also got all the tubing and, like, you know, all that stuff. Nice. Um, at, and with that done, like, they're like, oh, man, uh, they're still not here. So they decide, like, you know what? I'll get ahead on this and I'll drop their induction agents. Um, this agency primarily uses ketamine and succinicholine for induction and paralysis, which they then usually chase with doses of uh, Versed and fentanyl. Good. I like uh, that. I love those, actually. Yeah. So it's all yeah. They carry the 500 milligrams in 10 mils of ketamine. Okay. Um, and they draw up 4.1 milliliters of that. Um, what's their ketamine dose at their? It is two milligrams per kilogram. That's too much. Uh, that's too much fluid. Then you said they have a five hundred and ten. That's their concentration. Yeah. Yep, that's about twice the dose. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, because it should be about two. Because it should be about two two mLs. Because if they're doing if they're doing two mg per kg, uh, fifty four kilograms, one oh eight, and if you have. Uh, and then they, they say they carry 500 in that. So that should be, so if you want hundred milligrams, if you have 50 in, in per, per ML, you should be about two MLs, maybe a little bit more, but I, I would round it two because fuck it. Um, that's yeah. EMS 2020 Chris quote, fuck it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Cause fuck it. Yeah. yeah so that's um, too much. Yeah. And I mean, we it's will probably talk not about- a problem, but. Yeah, we will much. talk about that because um, that's a fun story. Um, and then they proceed to drop 8.1 mils of their 200 milligrams in 20 mils of okay. succinicoline. Give me just a quick second. I want to make sure that's right. So that's oh. that's going to be a 10. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> so that's a 10 and one, right? So 200 yes. milligrams, that's 10 and one. Okay, that's the correct. That's the correct amount of fluid for that. Okay, so uh, and real quick, just so like this is what happened, um, and I'll we'll go into more detail at the end of this. But uh, they did they drew up their ketamine, or they did the math on it, and then they forgot that they had already multiplied it. They somehow thought oh, they didn't, gotcha. so they they doubled, doubled and doubled again. They doubled their double exactly. Okay, um, all right. Well, so, I get it. That makes sense. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's a there's a system piece we'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, so this patient who uh, was carried via lifting tarp uh, down to the stretcher. Uh, this is that vinyl tarp with handles. Really gotcha. great at moving people. And uh, very, is brought it, it's actually it's so good. It's I would say it's mega at moving people. It's it mega, really mega is great. mega moving. Yeah. 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 Mega moving people. <laughs> um. <laughs> I wonder if there's another company that like does like makes mega movers, but they just don't call them mega movers and they're yeah. like fucking mad that it, it's like yeah. if you make adhesive bandaging and you're like, fuck you, Band-Aid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to copy your packaging, but that's it. Hey. <laughs> and your and and the entire concept. But right. damn it, we're it's, you know, Kirkland adhesive strips. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh yeah, so the patient's brought out to the, you know, down to the stretcher and out to the ambulance loaded in uh, granola, donut and donut hole climb in after uh, cookie notes that the patient now does have a 20 gauge IV established in their right antecubital space. And the patient is getting a 500 mils saline bolus in addition to the O2 treatment with the non rebreather. 
So Granola asks Cookie, like, all right, are you set up to innovate? And Cookie tells them, like, yes, and says, like, hey, this is what I've done. Behold all the things. So Granola tells Cookie, okay, go ahead and give your drawn up drugs over to Donut. Donut Hole is tasked with, like, hey, you know, get the patient back on the monitor, pulse oximeter, you know, the BP and and start the end title piece so that they're ready to connect as soon as um, the tube is complete. Good deal. Uh, Cookie recalls like seeing a heart rate of like 120, but nothing else like yet when granola says like, okay, go ahead and push the medications um, that, you know, cookie had drawn up ketamine first minute later, followed by sucks. Hey, wait a second. Is cookie the PIC? Sorry to diverge. Uh, So cookie is technically, they're the one that's going to write the chart. Cookie started uh, as PI, but earlier you said so-and-so's PIC. You said cookie, not granola, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. All right. All right. Yeah. That's well, I'll bring that up again later. Yeah. All right. So right as the sucks is uh, finishing uh, being administered, Cookie watches as the heart rate like plummets into the 30s and becomes a wide, slow rhythm. Oh, um, the, yeah. Yeah. And also the patient stops breathing, mm-hmm. which that's again, that's well, I mean, that's sort of the effect of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and Cookie checks for a carotid pulse. Uh, and tells Granola, like, I think the patient just arrested. I can't feel a pulse. Yeah. Granola also checks for a pulse. Um, and I'm sure everybody at that point, like, starts jumping in and checking for pulses. But no one can find one. Granola tells Donut, okay, start CPR. And asks yep. Donut Hole to, like, hey, grab out the cardiac epi. And then they tell Cookie, okay, just get the tube. Okay. So, Granola's kind of stepping up here. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, while they had a lot of trepidation about, you know, intubating this patient uh, initially, Cookie was actually relieved to find that the patient was not at all difficult to intubate, despite the moving target of the trachea with CPR being performed. Um, They were able to, as they describe it, like time it just right and advance that tube through the vocal cords, inflate the balloon, and they get an end tidal CO2 of 28 millimeters of mercury with ventilation. Um, the patient responds really well to the epinephrine and reportedly gets ROSC uh, after about like 30 seconds post administration of the epi, which cool. uh, the crew noticed because the patient's end title increased um, to I believe around like 34 gotcha. uh, millimeters of uh, was mercury. It? Yeah. And you said it was 28 earlier. Uh, yeah. T- 28 when they first uh, got their okay. reading there. Uh, the BVM, of course, is connected to high flow O2, and the patient's getting about 15 liters per minute of uh, BVETT air. And uh, Cookie was breathing at a rate of about 16 a minute, he says. And when you say air, so, specifically, you mean oxygen, right? Yeah, 15 okay. liters per minute of O2 via the BVM. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, so vitals are cycled again. Heart rate is 143 beats per minute, confirmed by a weak radial, and there's a narrow sinus on the monitor. Uh, blood pressure is still question marks over question marks via the Yay. autocuff. Yay! SpO2 is also question mark. Well, it's a it's dashes, but it's dashes. an unknown exactly. <laughs> gotcha. And then the end tidal CO2 is 31, um, and respirations are happening again about like 16 a, a minute at this time. Okay. Um, I just want to make some quick comments on the end title here. Um, I'm actually pretty happy with these end title values. I know a lot of people are probably going to look at these and be like, oh, but it's below the 35 to 45. Um, If we're thinking this patient is septic, and I know the crew might not be thinking that at this point, but if we're thinking sepsis is what's going on, you got to remember, like someone who's septic, they're going to have 
lower end title values because they've been to Kipnik for so long. And so they're going to have lower end title values uh, in general because they're PCO2 because PCO2 drives end title CO2 and CO2 PCO2 is to, to really simplify that it's the CO2 in your blood is what that is. Uh, yeah. And one of the things that will happen is because CO2 is a big part of your pH buffer system, uh, the buffer system will actually adjust to those low levels of CO2, okay? And so you don't necessarily want these people to have higher levels of CO2 because the opposing buffer uh, hasn't been built up. And so it's okay to have these people permissively lower if they've been septic septic for a while. Um, how it's going to translate to your care in the field, I mean, just go for what your doctor says to go for, but just understand if you find yourself excessively underventilating someone and their end title still doesn't seem to be coming up and they've been septic for days, that may be okay. Yeah. Um, importantly, and, and Cookie didn't know, because my question to them was, hey, what was their initial respiratory rate? Because that's probably what you would want to match. And mm. he says, I, I, I don't know. He just right. kind of went with 16. That's, that's um, fair. That's fine. Which, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one of those pieces where like, if you're going to innovate somebody who's breathing very fast and there's a, you know, possibility mm -hmm. of a metabolic reason that they are breathing fast, like sepsis, yeah. um, you know, try and remember that number and probably stick with that. Um, but also you know. in, in fairness to this crew, I don't, I mean, yeah. unfairness, I guess. I mean, well, it, they, I don't think they were thinking septis, sepsis at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, given that's not a good excuse, but, um, you know, I, yeah. don't, I don't think they were at this point. So anyway. All right. Sorry. M move yeah. on along. Yeah, of course. So uh, granola asked donuts uh, to take over or donut. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Captain Donut. Captain Donut. Let's be let's be official uh, to take over ventilations and to write in uh, Donut Hole is tasked with establishing a second IV site. Uh, cool. Cookie is told to obtain a manual blood pressure, uh, which they are not able to hear, but they see the needle bouncing around 60. Oh, uh, yeah. Cookie then listens to lung sounds uh, and they report that they hear very like audible ronchi with those ventilations. Um, and they did tell me like they had like the like, oh, fuck, did the patient aspirate when they coded? Like, oh, my God, sure. is this my fault? Yeah. Um, they also note they don't hear any sounds of the epigastrium. By the oh, way, hey, did we get lung sounds in the first place up above? Uh, yes, uh, they were reported as shallow and diminished okay. by the fire captain. Gotcha. God, I am not writing anything you say down. I'm sorry. This is. <laughs> <I've> been... <laughs> I can't wait till the summary when you're like, uh, so some guys showed up and uh, did some stuff. Sounds like yeah. an innovation. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Sweet. Let's. All right. Now let's objectively review this call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah so no sounds over the stomach uh crappy lung sounds uh with the bvms um they report this these findings to the team the second iv is established and a second 500 mil uh saline bag is hung uh, i do want to point it just i keep cutting it, off man i'm sorry yeah no, no, no that's fair that's a i should i let me be more specific yeah. they are running it in gotcha. i'm assuming wide open okay uh, by the way, they do have Levafed and a 60 drop set if they need to use it. Mm -hmm. So 
There okay. is that there for in this service. Uh, Granola then departs the rear of the ambulance because they're going to drive to the emergency department. Um, and they are going to the STEMI trauma hospital. So it's about a 15 to 20 minute drive from where they are. They were on scene for about 18 minutes total. Uh, Donut, the captain, actually departs and Donut Hole remains to fill the hole <laughs> that Donut <laughs> left. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, Cookie uh, actually resumes ventilations for the transport. So they're at the head of the patient for the ride in. Okay. All right. So five minutes into the transport, vitals are this uh, level of consciousness. The patient is not awake, but they have resumed breathing on their own at a rate of about 24 a minute. Uh, so we know now that the paralytic has worn off. But again, the patient is otherwise unresponsive. The heart rate is 124 a minute. Um the autocuff comes back again with, you know, triple question marks and a manual BP is taken by donut hole and they report 74 over 40 for the blood pressure. Okay. Uh, SPO2 does not read. Uh, end title right now is 26. Okay. Uh, and then one of those 500 bags is in. So they attach yet another 500 bag of uh, saline. Okay. So she has a total of 1500 attached to her at this point. Not necessarily in because she had... Two 500s, one completed, and they just added a third, essentially. Yes, exactly. Okay. So there's a potential for 1,500 to be in. We just don't know exactly how much at this point. We have at least 500, but definitely. Exactly. All right, cool. All right. So uh, approximately 10 minutes in, the patient's noted to flutter her eyelids and, like, move her jaw. Um, The patient, like, continued to breathe at the high rate of 24, but now also has, like, a congested cough, which they hear you know, through the ET and you can feel in that BVM. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, heart rate is 137 sinus rhythm, non-invasive blood pressure finally fucking works. Uh, nice. 82 over 51. And yeah. it's a consistent reading. That's good. Yep. And the end title right now is 28. Okay. Um, and SPO2 again, still not reading. <laughs> Sounds but, good. Yeah. Turns out uh, I never so, put it on. Just kidding. Yeah. So Cookie actually like talks with uh, their partner uh, about further sedation because they are worried about hyper like hypotension. And to yes. clarify, their t- their partner Granola up front. Nice. Uh, so after talking with them, Granola says like, yeah, still give sedation. So they give her a two milligram dose of midazolam and a fifty microgram bump of fentanyl, right. uh, which actually does help with the like coughing and the eye fluttering. Okay. Um, Cookie does call report uh, to the receiving hospital by radio, and they es- they essentially went like uh, altered mental status, intubated and sedated, and then they give vitals and an ETA. They don't give a like we think it's this. They're just like uh, altered mental status, intubated. See you soon. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, so the hospital reports like okay, we'll be ready. As ready as we can be, anyway. Yeah. All right. So I'll sp- and Chris I'll, and everyone, I'll spare you the last 10 minutes. Here's the good news. The patient's vitals do continue to improve, um, although the patient never did get a blood pressure above 90 systolic. They mm. do eventually get an SpO2 of 92 percent just prior to arrival. Okay, um, the patient didn't require any more sedation during the transport, though it sounds like she definitely woke up like once they moved her over to the ED bed and then the staff there quickly had to like sedate her to stop her from like reaching up and yeah. taking out tubes. Um, yep. 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 Uh, the crew did go back to the ER and 
they got follow-up on their patient. Good job. Are you ready for it? Yes, yeah. I am. She was found to have urosepsis and pneumonia. Yeah. Yo. And, <laughs> and she yeah. was started on pressors and taken up to their ICU, um, All right. intubated and sedated. So, Vindication! Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, uh, anything else or can I can I summarize the best I can with the bullshit? <laughs> yes, that I go ahead. I'm, I'm ready to hear your summary. I'm excited to All hear right. your summary. All right. I've gone back through and I've filled in extra information as I asked it after you already said it later on. If this is out of order, feel free to correct me. I do apologize. All right. So. <laughs> All right, so Cookie and Granola Bar, or Granola B, uh, competition for Cardi B, uh, get dispatched to a residence. Uh, I like how that's the thing I wrote down. Got Granola B, rap name. Uh, get dispatched to a residence uh, for a 73-year-old female uh, who possibly overdosed on oxycodone. Uh, they arrive to find a patient who's essentially unresponsive uh, next to an optometrist uh, office. Uh, in, a, in this house i'm kidding that's not true if you're just now tuning into this if you're just coming in for the summary then it's it, it that was a joke uh but anyway it's a patient in a bedroom uh they're essentially unresponsive they have a heart rate of 130 uh with a blood pressure of like maybe 80 and no pulse socks so uh cookie sees uh that there were that there are pills missing from the oxycodone thing but then they find them all over the floor uh granola bar tees up cookie to get an ett and sends them out to the ambulance to prepare to intubate uh cookie does set up uh, but draws up nearly 200 milligrams instead of the required 100 of ketamine. Uh, but they do get the, the suctional. Technically 108. <laughs> they, uh, the patient is brought out and they get intubated right away. Um, well, I should not say they get intubated right away. There, there's some drama beforehand. Uh, they set up to intubate right away, but they don't really check to see how the patient's vitals are like as they're doing that, with the exception of the fact that uh, the intubator, the would-be intubator, uh, notices a heart rate of about 120. Uh, they push the succinylcholine. Well, they push ketamine, and then they push succinylcholine. Uh, and then they're like, oh, but the patient is now like heart rate of 30 with like a wide complex and no pulse and like they're not breathing, which they're not breathing like succinylcholine will do that to you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. its job. Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. So yeah. they, they tube really quick. Uh, they are able to get Ross pretty quick. And one of the main reasons they know they notice they get Ross is so they push, they push Epi, you know, they're basically running ACLS code. They start CPR, they push some Epi. Uh, and then shortly after that, they notice that like, Oh, Hey, like the end title numbers are bumping up from like the twenties to, you know, like the thirties. So that, that was one of the things yeah. that they noticed. So that was good. Uh, and then they, of course, they secure the tube. Uh, thankfully, it ended up being a pretty easy tube to pass. Uh, the patient's files pretty much remain borderline for the rest of the transport. Uh, but the crew is able to give more sedation in the form of Dazlam and some fentanyl uh, for pain, which I think is uh, you know totally fine. And then they arrive to the ED and they, uh, they turn over care and then the patient gets more sedated uh, because, well... They don't like a tube in their throat as they wake up. Uh, they also start giving some fluid in route as well. And uh, yeah, that is uh, that is my rough summary of uh, yeah. of what happened, I think. Oh, yeah. She ended up being, of course, septic with urosepsis and pneumonia. So yeah. there we go. Uh, All right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, what, no, what uh, you got? No, good job. Good job. Yeah. Thank I, uh, you. I, 
Yeah. All right. So here were Cookie's concerns with this call when they sent it in. They they said, like, I, I felt like I missed things because my partner was, like, running the call more than they were. Um, gotcha. Yeah. And they, that, that was kind of the thing that was frustrating for them was they realized, like, I don't like I'm not in charge and things are happening. And, you know, and they felt like they missed stuff um, that they maybe shouldn't have in retrospect. Sure. Um, and then, of course, when they did figure out the med math later, they realized that they slightly overdosed the patient with mm-hmm. on the initial you know induction dose of ketamine. Double the dose, yeah. Um, and then they're like, could that have killed the patient, or like, was it the succinylcholine? Uh, was there, a, you know, like the, the you know that kind of no, stuff? No, I mean, well, we'll yeah. talk about it later, but yeah. Um, so those were kind of the the two concerns that they had. Um, you know, Chris, uh, what do you think overall? Like, quick first thoughts on this call. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll talk about kind of some PIC issues. You know, if Cookie really wanted to be the the PIC, there were some mistakes. I don't think Cookie not maintaining that PIC role really led to any of the problems per se. Um, yeah. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, there's some system issues when it comes to actually drawing up the drugs that I think could have been avoided. Um, We'll talk about oxygen settings, which is a small thing, but it is a pet peeve. Uh, And then we'll kind of talk about uh, some ventilation techniques as well that I think uh, need to be brought up. And we should also probably talk about the overall decision to intubate. And I think like I I think a lot of the problems in this call come from not recognizing sepsis early on. And I think we ended up taking the call down a path that didn't necessarily need to go. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of, uh, let's do what we do. Let's just culture this and start with potential, uh, system problems. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind here with, okay. uh, the first potential system problem. So there was a recent change. Okay. A mm, couple months prior to this where they changed the, uh, ketamine vials. Okay. They used to have the 220. Okay. And then they went to the 500 in 10. Gotcha. All right. The 510. Um, uh, okay. And this is the first time that uh, uh, Cookie had used this concentration and they got confused when they drew up essentially a very right. small amount and then went like, wait, no, I, I forgot to, I didn't do this right. And I forgot so to double they, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that makes that's, sense. That's where they went wrong there. Um, that's and so they reasonable. Were like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, this is. This is why medication vial changes are really like everyone gets really, really uncomfortable when anything yeah. about medications changes in mm-hmm. an ambulance. Um, and you'll see, you know, typically lots of messaging and lots of like, hey, remember uh, it from, you know, ambulance services that I've worked at anyway, where they've yeah. done this. Um, but, they, you know, this is kind of one of the downsides that can happen. The solution here is have a dosing card kind of a thing. Um, but to, yep. you know, uh you know, make sure you're still doing your, your med math, you, you know, your, your five rights, six rights, you know, checking yeah. with your partner and saying like, Hey, this is what I believe I've drawn up. You know, can you check it and, you know, have and, them do more than just rubber stamp it and be like, yep, looks good. And that kind of <laughs> leaves me to like a PIC issue, uh, which I'm going to talk about later uh, because if I recall correctly, cookie went into the ambulance and started drawing up meds by themselves. Yes. Yeah. Now yep. given that's fine in and of itself, Drawing up a medication is fine. The hard part then is uh, when it came time to push the meds, uh, who pushed the meds? Was it Cookie that pushed the meds uh, too? No, it was, uh, you know, donut or donut hole. Some okay. One of the donuts. One yeah. of the donuts did it. When someone hands you a med to push, double check it. 
You know, yeah. someone should be handing you that medication. You know, get used to handing medications and stating some of the patient rights when you do it, if you're going to hand them off. We love to, I mean, I think there's a lot that comes from like our hospital community and our hospital providers where it's like, hey, if you drop a med, give a med. But, you know, in, in our world, we just, space plays such a role. And I mean, imagine if you had to give every single med you drew up no matter what. Like you're drawing up meds yeah. on the outside of the call and you have to try and weasel your way into the huddle in the back of a car somewhere. You, sooner or later, even the most diligent uh, paramedic is going to be in a situation where they need to hand the med off. When you hand that med off, you look that person in the eye and you say what is in it and how much, and they check that before you give it. So there, there is a, a failure there that uh, that's not really a system issue. That's actually more of an individual tactic issue there. Yeah. So that's kind of one problem. Yeah. Drawing up meds by yourself. If you're going to be drawing them up by yourself, you know, um, just make sure that when you're, if you're handing them off later, that you're going to be, that you make that solid communication so that someone can double check. Uh, can double check you. So yeah, yeah, totally. It's layers of Swiss cheese, right? Hopefully the holes don't line up. So keep adding layers of Swiss cheese till they can't. Exactly. And I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of this. I, I have my own uh, dosing card. Yeah. Um, you know, the, because you know what? Like, if math is a dangerous game to play in your own head, don't play that game. Have, right. You know, front load that work. Um, now. As far as a specific system thing that can be done, uh, yeah. label things. Like if you either label the bottle itself, which can sometimes be hard because sometimes you're like, I can't get a good label on this unless I obstruct some valid information on it. Uh, but another <laughs> thing you do is put a label on the RSI kit or wherever this drug is is uh, set, just a big red label. New succinylcholine concentration is this and that it, oh, right yeah, there. Or, exactly. Another thing that I've seen people do is uh, when the drug concentration changes so much that you'll be likely grabbing a different syringe is start packaging the, sur the, the syringe that would most commonly be used for that with the medication. Now, that may not be the case with this particular change, but if it is going to be, if the, con if the concentration is several times greater to where you're going to be giving much smaller volumes that you would basically never have a use for a 10 cc syringe, then just start packing it with a 3 cc syringe or a 5 cc tape to it. And then that kind yeah. of clues people in like, oh, yeah. So there's some other things in there, but basically whatever you do, whenever you have something this critical, make the best thing you can do is, I mean, emails and, you know, like bulletins are nice, mm -hmm. but put something they have to, in order to use it, they have to read it before they even grab it. Like it's physically in their face. I, mean, I guess no one has to read shit. They can just walk into it blind, but, uh, you know, make, that, make yeah, it, make it obvious. Ziploc, yeah. Ziploc bags with a label on it. Yeah, you know, just because then thing. it's 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 then it's you it's just one extra kind of reminder in the moment, like oh, this right. is a different concentration, yeah. and gives that person a, a chance to remember, like oh wait, hold on, I got to do this math. Um, but let's kind of yeah. Uh, let's let's push into like the the dosing card thing. So, did they have? I mean, you seemed to imply that there wasn't a, do a dosing card or an innovation checklist or anything. No, they, this service doesn't have a dosing card or innovation checklist. Okay. Because one, uh, one of the things that they I... They should. Yeah, and maybe they will. Uh, one of the things that I kind of uh, noticed on this is that while they definitely had a non-rebreather on the patient, uh, which is great uh, in terms of starting to pre-oxygenate somebody, um, mm. uh, there wasn't any specific oxygen... Oxygen? Uh, <laughs> any specific oxygens... <laughs> actions uh, done to truly pre-oxygenate somebody. So when we talk about pre-oxygenate, you want to do more than just uh, an NRB. Uh, one of the things that you can definitely do is you can actually take a BVM and you can place the BVM uh, over their mouth with a PEEP valve attached. And then their own respiratory drive will benefit from that PEEP valve and uh, the delivery of oxygen through that BVM uh, and then also a nasal cannula under that. Basically, it's just mass amounts of oxygenation because remember, 
it isn't the SAO2 number we necessarily care about. I mean, we do, but what we're yeah. looking to do when we preoxygenate, the big goal is denitrogenation of the lungs. Because what that does is that means that when this patient's apneic, when you go for your intubation attempt, uh, as blood continues to circulate, which it will, pass the lungs to get oxygen, there's more oxygen for the pull from. So their oxygen saturations uh, will stay higher for much longer. In someone with zero lung disease and is healthy, that can actually be up to eight minutes above 90% SAO2, yeah. which is pretty intense. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, because the, one of the big problems we have is that, so when you go to innovate somebody, you need to look at it like this. Uh, they are walking towards a cliff and that cliff, by the way, is 90% because after 90% uh, SAO2, most patients will plummet uh, substantially. Uh, the SAO2 just starts going down, 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 and you get really quickly into that uh, anoxic brain injury uh, realm. So, and you also get increased cardiac irritability, like it, shit goes downhill. Yeah. When we intubate somebody and they're apneic, you essentially put your hands on their shoulders and you start shoving them towards that cliff faster and faster. So when you pre-oxygenate somebody and you denitrogenate those lungs, essentially what you're doing is you're starting them farther away from the cliff. Okay. Yeah. So when you have to go intubate, you are, you're going to, when you make them apneic, no matter what, you are going to be pushing them closer to the, towards that, that, that anoxic brain injury line. Um, but if you start farther away, you can do that. You can push them. You know, it's the difference between having a couple minutes and having like up to eight minutes, you know, depending again on the health of the patient. Um, obviously, yeah. patients who have lung disease that limit the volume and capacity of their lungs or have pneumonia, like this patient did, uh, it's, they're not going to last the full eight minutes. You know, they're, yeah. they, in fact, they may be drastically shorter. So be prepared for that. But give them the best shot you can. Because so often, and Spence, you've seen this, uh, I know, this is what we'll do. We'll have someone, we don't do a good job pre-oxygenating, and they're right near that cliff. And we just come and just give them a big old boot right off the fucking cliff. They bounce off the rocks below uh, because their sats have been too low as we take forever to get this tube. And then finally, we get it, and we just like yoink the, their bleeding piles of body parts <laughs> back up over the cliff and drag it back up to 100% sats. And we're like, we did it and it's like no like yeah they're 100 yeah. sats but you already bounced them off the rocks below like it doesn't yeah this doesn't count anymore like as the brain starts to swell from the hypoxia yeah yeah like, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no it doesn't count it doesn't count so um yeah, yeah and and yeah. you know unfortunately there, there are people who have suffered greatly that way so yeah so well, yeah I, you know, what let, let's talk about, because I think this really kind of goes right into um, one of the things that I think we really do need to talk about, which is resuscitation before intubation, because preoxygenation is a part of resuscitation. Yes. And uh, this kind of ties into the next system problem, which is this is a system that doesn't have push dose pressors. I am a fan of push dose pressors, Me especially too. with intubation, oh, yeah. because here, here's the thing. I think what happened here is a target fixation. They said, we're going to intubate. And that's what they were going to do. And remember, uh, and Chris, you have said this, so I am it's like I'm a computer just regurgitating the brilliant yeah. shit you've said. Um, <laughs> the goal, the, intubation is a tool in a toolkit. The goal is not intubation. The goal is oxygenation and ventilation. Yep. Um, and if you have somebody who is, you know, like their, their sats are shit and, uh, you, like, and you're like, oh, I need to intubate them to fix this. No, that's probably not what you need to do. You need to do good you know, BLS care, 
pre-oxygenate, set yourself up, you know, to, the, the best you can to do that um, prior to intubation. And the same thing happens with your blood pressure. If you have somebody who is hypotensive and you give them induction doses of ketamine, and we'll talk about ketamine because a lot of people go like, oh, ketamine, it's yeah. going to help. Um, that isn't necessarily true. In fact, right. in a, a significant portion of patients, um, that it actually does the opposite. And again, we'll go into that. Um, right. but y y you're going to give them, you know, sedation, which will often lower their blood pressure. And then you're going to give them paralytics. And it turns out your, like your major blood vessels, the arteries, those all have muscle. Yeah. And you're going to relax a lot of muscle. Um, which will inherently drop someone's blood pressure. You need, you, you don't just need oxygen to get to your brain to prevent injury or your, your, your entire body, your organs. Uh, you also need blood pressure so that that blood can move around with that oxygen that it's carrying right. that you've very you, true. So, um, so in this situation, I, I think the, the biggest thing that I would say, like outside of, you know, what was the identified need to intubate on scene? Cause I'm, I'm really, right. cookie wasn't sure. And like, and yeah, I, I'm, we'll I'm talk not about that, but, but yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to do the thing, then you got to make sure that you've, you, you do it right. Set yourself up for success, you know, like prep your patient. Mm -hmm. So that means pre-oxygenate. Give them a blood pressure to give yourself wiggle room in uh, right. and push those pressors can be a great tool for that. They didn't have that here. So it would have been, you know, fluid boluses and yeah. maybe even start the leave a fed um, yeah. to get their blood pressure up above it, you know, at least 90 so that you have, mm -hmm. again, that that wiggle room to, to to have it drop a little bit, which it will do. Which, by um, the way, an example of a push dose pressure uh, in places that Spencer and I have worked, it's typically going to be. Uh, epinephrine and you basically yeah. you you dilute it to a to a ratio where it uh, comes out about 10 to 20 micrograms and you just push that in all at once um, exactly and so yeah so it's it's a lot less than like code epi like you're not giving like an entire milligram yeah you're, you're yeah. not giving a milligram you're giving exactly you're giving tiny doses of it in micrograms you know? yeah and they yeah. give these nice little bumps in blood pressure you know so you have some wiggle room exactly so you bought yourself a little you know a bridge of time essentially yeah. with their blood pressure up um so th that would be my that's the big piece there um in terms of like i think one of the big faults on this um with the ketamine so <laughs> we you heard us you heard chris say like eh, maybe it doesn't hurt regarding ketamine Matt, but by the way i want to clarify yeah. what i said i do yeah. think ketamine possibly played a role in this patient briefly coding but what i meant when yes. i said it doesn't hurt i i meant the difference between giving the correct dose and the incorrect dose in this patient probably wasn't what did it I, th I, I think i think what would yeah. have happened would have happened no matter the dose they gave i i and that i agree i i think the only way it might not have happened is i've heard you know people who say like hey if you have a patient who's been you know significantly septic during septic shock consider going like with a half dose of ketamine to try sure. and prevent sure. this from happening um but outside of that it, like i have given ketamine in larger quantities than i should have and the only thing that happens is it just takes longer to wear off that yeah. that's really you could give somebody a 500 milligram vial of ketamine and in a normal person you're it's going to k-hole them for a while but oh, yeah. there isn't you know like there isn't like oh jesus you've murdered them um, right okay. <laughs> it's cool it's it, it's really high to get to a like even close to lethal dose of ketamine um unless the patient is septic now what happens with ketamine is uh, 
ketamine has a ton of, of effects, but primarily for us, what we want to do is we want to disassociate um, the patient and we give them a disassociative dose of two milligrams per kilogram. And what happens there is a lot of times that we like it because it will, it will usually increase cardiac output. And it will usually protect respiratory drive. So yeah. you'll have a patient who continues to breathe, um, their heart rate or their blood pressure might go up a little bit. And we're like, yeah, we love that because, you know, like you would think in a septic patient, this is what you want. Now, the tricky piece is how that does that is it actually stimulates your own androgynous catecholamines. So right. the catecholamines would be epinephrine and norepinephrine that are made exactly. in your body naturally. So exactly. Um, if your body, if you have been sick and your body is already using those, then you don't have much catecholamines left in your body. And right. unfortunately, what that means is that what ketamine then does is it actually slows your heart rate. It's it's a it's on its own. It's a negative inotrope with your catecholamines. It actually you know increases that cardiac output. So in this patient, I'm imagining what happened is they gave the ketamine and instead of bumping up their blood pressure and bumping up their heart rate um, and protecting the respiratory drive, it, it you know it at least we know that their heart rate probably went really slow and yeah. uh, and then they died. Right. Yeah. And then and then, you know, throwing the succinylcholine on top of that um, is going to cause that that kind of relaxation. I mean, you know, yeah. o overall, like, I mean, I don't think I mean, I know I know the way the call went, at least what I have written down is that uh, the sex was pushed and then they noticed it. Uh, I, I think it's probably still just the ketamine that was slowing down I, the heart rate. I don't think the sex yeah. played that role. Um, I, I agree. Just, yeah. So, cause I, I don't know how long they waited and then, you know, it's going to take a little bit for those things to impact. I mean, I, I, I don't, as far as I know, I don't know of any succinylcholine dosages that have suddenly caused uh, bradycardia. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only, the, the only thing that would, the only mechanism that would make sense to me would be like, well, if the patient had like hyper K, um, right. which with like a slow wide rhythm, you, you, you could assume, like you could make the inference uh, there that, that it might be, fair, but yeah. But then if you give Epi and you get Rosk back and they go back into a narrow complex rhythm without like peaked T waves or any of that stuff, um, I, I'd say that's kind of a hard sell on yeah. it being hyperkalemia. Right. Um, Very true. So, which honestly uh, though, another thing that, that, I, that they would consider, and this might, you know, I apologize if, you know, this, uh, this makes you so happy you can't go on. Um, I would say there's a, there's room for a 12 lead EKG in this patient as well. Ooh, yeah, no, I think yeah. I think a twelve lead EKG would have been a would have been a good thing to to hit. I'm glad you said that. Uh, yeah. I am proud. Yeah. Thank you. See, you're rubbing off on me. Uh, the main reason that I'm looking at is I'm looking at whenever we talk about super septic patients, we really start looking at things like electrolyte imbalances. And I yeah. think a 12 week can give you a good indicator of what's coming down the line. You know, if you can see some certain uh, indicators of certain electrolyte imbalances, you know, kind of what to watch out for in terms of other dysrhythmias coming down the road that may not be visible just from a simple, simple two lead. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So I think that covers uh, resuscitation prior to intubation. We talked about like, I don't, yeah. I, you and I are kind of both on like, huh, I wonder why they chose to intubate. I mean, I, I get it from the like less than eight intubate, but yeah, well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about, why don't we just, let's just talk about how the call should have gone. Yeah. So let's talk about that initial assessment. We kind of, yeah, we, uh, we went off there on the uh, resuscitate before intubation, but uh, let's kind of talk about the initial assessment, kind of see how they got to that point in the first place or if they should have gotten to that point in the first place. Yeah, no, I agree. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I commented early on that they missed was that initial inherent respiration rate. 
um, when they walked in. I think that would have been a, a good thing to obtain from sure. um, uh, Granola B, who uh, happened to be in the room. Yeah, especially uh, when it comes to bagging later on, which, again, yeah. though, they probably could have avoided that. But but I, uh, um, and you brought up the temperature, which uh, that was a great, you know, skin temp um, yeah. would, would have been a great thing to get. Um, but w- w- what are your thoughts on um, like the when we divide and conquer on our job, for instance, you know, like we have to do that quite a bit where it's like, hey, you go get this stuff and I'm going to go sure. get this stuff. And then we kind of, you know, come back together and, and put it all together uh, as we do, but wh- like, what are your thoughts on what happened here where, you know, Cookie kind of ended this call going like, I, I, I don't even really know like why we did the things we did or like, <laughs> there, yeah. So cook, there's a couple, cu- couple mistakes here that, that I think may have made things better. And, and again, I don't think, I, I, I don't think anything Cookie did necessarily led to the call going the way it, it went. Um, but a couple of things is let's before I before I talk specifically about Cookie though let's kind of talk about I want to address the assessment there in terms of missing the respiratory rate and uh, and the temperature those are nice things but I am going to commend them that they did know that the patient was tachypnic and a lot of times like I don't want to say that's all you need to know but yeah. that's the basis you know like yeah. hey, hey look like they're obviously tachypnic like whether they were twenty eight or thirty two I mean yeah. Eh, eh. Who cares? They're they're sure. fast, and that that's enough to really start figuring out like okay, it's going to go from there. Um, where it gets hard is when they're borderline. Are they are they tachypnic or are they not? And that's why I love the entitled CO two cannula. It's just throw it on, and it will give you an objective like count because counting restora- restorations, especially in septic patients, uh, is mm. hard if you're not actively yeah. doing it. It's easier when they're unresponsive actually because the only movement their body really does is the breathing rate. Uh, you know, so that's yeah. it's a little bit easier. But remember, like. Like septic increased respirations are quiet. We're used to the loud ones from breathing problems where you're like, oh, that's obviously tachypnic because I could basically hear what sounds like, uh, you know, a, a, a old a vacuum cleaner bag full of vomit being squeezed over and over again. <laughs> Just going, <laughs> you know, like I can hear that. What are you, what are you vacuuming up? <laughs> <laughs> obviously a lot of vomit. <laughs> Probably hey. from the, from the sloppy Joe cookie. You had yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> if you eat sloppy Joe cookies, man, you're going to vomit a lot. Uh, anyway. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. I think we have a new t-shirt coming, uh, but anyway, so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, but, but yeah, I mean, the fact that they, that they noted, uh, tachypnea in someone, you know, like this is, is actually great. Um, yeah. I think there was kind of uh, a little bit, there was some communication here. I, I think a lot of it kind of comes down to, they just plain missed the sepsis, you know? Uh, and, and I think they didn't really like, and I think had they started going, cause it's one of those things where I want to say, yeah, they could have communicated better, but I don't know exactly what they would have communicated better. Cause they did communicate in terms of, Hey, I found this. What about this? What do you think on this? Well, I think it might be this. Cause what about the pills? And you know, and those things all kind of happened and they found the pills. And so they were gunning back and forth with ideas, but none of the ideas was sepsis. Yeah. And so I think that from the get go, kind of injured the call. And so, and then I think it kind of got added up a little bit too when Cookie uh, decided to leave the call 
to go drop meds uh, when you're PIC. So I talk about how doing an intervention like intubation, for example, or getting an IV is like dunking your head underwater if you're PIC and you should be avoiding these things, right? Because yeah. dunking your head underwater, uh, you focus on whatever's in front of you and then you have to pop your head back up and reassess the entire landscape because things have changed. You weren't able to perceive what was above the water. Well, leaving the pool in the first place is just as bad. So like getting up and walking away when you're supposed to be PIC uh, isn't great. I don't think it led to any problems in this particular call, but as a future yeah. tip, like you had four paramedics total on scene, send someone else. You know, if, yeah. if, if you're PIC, stay with your patient and kind of sit there uh, and 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 gather things. Um, yeah, you know, so, I mean, I, I think that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to the CBG, when it comes to the PIC yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's the, I think that's probably the, the the crux of the issue, which is you you really can't have both in like yeah. on this call. You can't be PIC and then also get to like to do the intubation. I, right. You know, like because essentially if you're going like, hey, I'll, I'll go set up to intubate, then, yeah, you you can't be the PIC. You yeah. can't expect to. Um, and so. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then you had, and so granola bar essentially had to step into the PIC role because you left, even if there wasn't that much to do besides start moving the patient, you left. And so you now have a new de facto PIC because you're not, because if you're out in the ambulance and your patient is not, you are not PIC. I don't <laughs> care. Like, like may, maybe depending on how you run the call, you may be able to regain that once they, once they come back to you, but you are strictly not PIC because what we say on the show all the time is being a PIC is you are a conduit for information. Well, if you are, unable to either gather information or relay information to and from the crew, then you can't be PIC. So granola bar comes in who essentially is now de facto PIC because they've been with the patient. And now you're sitting there holding, uh, you know, innovation equipment in your hands and, and the wrong dose of, uh, of ketamine and some succinyl choline, uh, in your hands. Like, I mean, like I, I, you're not, you're not going to retain that role. And yeah. so that's, that's kind of where, you know, where that's at. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that, that's right. So the way this call should have been run, I think, from the get go, is I think the patient should have been fluid resuscitated right off the bat because we've talked about this before with septic patients. Septic patients need volume, so it could be three to four liters of volume, but they really need volume. And then after you volume resuscitated them, then you start moving on towards things like pressors, like hanging norepi. And one of the things that you know I would notice about this patient is that. You know, they responded very well to getting epinephrine after we gave them uh, ketamine, which yeah. you know, would be kind of expected. You give them ketamine, there's no catecholamines, uh, you know, to be released. And then you add catecholamines to the mix, which is epinephrine. And then all of a sudden it works really, really well. You know, that that, that actually jives. Um, but in spite of giving the patient, which is actually, you know, in terms of the amount of epinephrine you can give, the code dose of epinephrine is the largest dose we really give. You know, yeah. it, it's a huge dose of epinephrine. Uh, but the fact that the patient still didn't have much to speak of in terms of a blood pressure after being recessed, that really mm. indicates that what we're doing is we're clamping down on an empty tank, you know, because yeah. these patients, when people get sick, like especially with urosepsis, uh, you know, that fluid goes everywhere. They pee a lot of it out because they're set, you know, the urosepsis patients are, you know, they're constantly incontinent. They're peeing a lot. Uh, and then the other, the big thing is that fluid starts the third space. So it doesn't go into the vessels. It doesn't go into the cells. It likes to start going into all the spaces in between. So it doesn't contribute to blood pressure anymore. And yeah. so these people need more fluid. Now, given a lot of that fluid is still going to start third spacing, um, that's, that can absolutely still happen, but they need the fluid at least for a little bit. 
uh, inside that vasculature while we start fighting this disease with antibiotics. And so essentially what you're doing is you're trying to maintain a blood pressure until you can get uh, what they're going to do for her long-term care is maintain a blood pressure until they can get the infection under control. So yeah, that's what this patient needed. Uh, I, you know, I think had we started with a lot of fluid uh, and had we, uh, you know, gone down that way of supporting the patient's blood pressure, we may have avoided the need to intubate in the first place. I'm not saying intubation wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I'm just saying I did not see enough at the time they decided to intubate. I didn't see enough reason uh, to intubate, but I was also thinking sepsis. They weren't, you know, so yeah, you know, and, I think that's kind yeah. of where it goes. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Cookie never thought, no, Cookie didn't think sepsis, you know, uh, but it might be that granola did. Um, but just never communicated that either. Um, Very true. So that's, you know, that that's a possibility there. Cause I'm going like, well, they, I mean, they, outside of the, you know, the intubation, uh, you know, problems that they had during the intubation, like they, they still, you know, like outside of, you know, they should have started the fluid earlier, but they still started fluid. They did. And, and yeah. that was good. And they started giving it in mass, which I really like towards, exactly. uh, you know, uh, towards the end, which actually I was kind of thinking, I'm like, okay, they're giving fluid. Are they thinking sepsis now or is nobody talking? Which in that case, yeah, you're right. There's a good communication point there. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with your, your, your uh, with your points. Um, you know, start fluid resuscitation yeah. early, you know, continue the oxygen therapy, get the patient down to the ambulance and, and start transporting and see if you need to add pressors yeah. on board. And if oxygenation and ventilation do become an issue with that, you know, like, and you have the end title on there and you're like, man, like, ooh, things are going poorly, then revisit, you know, intubation or, you know, pick a tool out of the toolbox that will get you oxygenation and ventilation. It doesn't necessarily have to be intubation. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, right. um, yeah. And Oh, by the way, if you're a BLS provider, um, then, you know, BVM this patient, uh, right. help them. Yeah. And then yeah. bring help for the CPR that you're probably going to be doing. On right. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're going well, this you, route. Yeah. If you're, uh, if their blood pressure is garbage over garbage and yeah. uh, you have no way of fixing that, um, then yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I have a, just a couple finer points I want to point out. Uh, and then okay. I, I don't, I don't have much else to add to this episode after this. Do you? Yeah. No, I think, uh, I All think right. we've nailed it. All right. My minor points here, just to kind of uh, brush up the end here. Uh, so 15 liters per minute uh, of oxygen when, when pre-oxygenating, uh, just bump it up to 25 if your regulator will do it. Um, this patient, probably not uh, going to be a problem, but just remember 15 liters per minute, that's volume per minute. And when you get someone who's tachypnic, especially these septic patients, especially if they're a bigger patient, they can easily exceed uh, moving 15 liters per minute of air. Uh, yeah. And so if you're only giving them 15 liters per minute, then that's not 100% oxygen. Because a lot of people are always trying to be like, all right, well, what does that equate to FiO2? What, you know, if I give them 15% uh, or if I give them 15 liters per minute, what's the math equation uh, to make that to the FiO2? And that math equation depends entirely on how much that patient's breathing. So like, let's take an example. Um, you know, let, let's say, yeah, a bigger person, they're taking like, I don't know, 700 ml breaths and it's a it's a big person. And you take 700 mLs uh, and you're going to multiply that by, let's say they're, you know, they're a septic patient at 24 breaths per minute. Uh, well, that gets you 16.8 liters. So that person right there, you would not be able to get 100% FiO2 on with 15 liters per minute. Um, very few people 
can outbreathe 25 liters per minute. I don't know if anybody can outbreathe. Challenge accepted. Right. There, there you go. If, if you are, you need to kind of look around your surroundings and make sure you didn't become a veterinarian. That's not a rhinoceros in front of you. <laughs> um, so I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. So just crank it up to 25 liters per minute if, if you're going that direction. Um, just, yeah, crank it up. Uh, always just crank up your action to 25 liters per minute. The only time where you really want to be cons- be conservative about that is if you're looking at like the amount of oxygen you have and you have concerns over, yeah, but you know, I could either do 15 liters per minute and actually get into the ambulance or I can do 25 liters per minute and then run out. Like that's also, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like be aware that that's going to increase the amount. But if you've got time, if you've got oxygen, 25 liters per minute is where you want to be. Uh, second thing, I didn't ever hear use of a peep valve, uh, which makes me kind of think that maybe they didn't use one because even after they got the they finally got the SAO2 reading, it came back at 92 percent, which if this patient's at 100 percent FiO2, no major history of any lung disease. They did end up with pneumonia. So that could accommodate for some of it. But I'm thinking 92 percent like at 100 percent FiO2 and you don't have any chronic lung disease, you know, it should maybe be a little bit higher. And so, and that could have been because of lack of PEEP. And remember, PEEP is going to increase oxygenation. That's one of the reasons you do it. If you want to increase oxygenation, increase PEEP, increase increase FiO2. She was maxed out on FiO2. uh, So maybe bump the PEEP up. That being said, 92% isn't, I'm not, yeah. I didn't murder her or anything. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's, 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 that's not a bad number. Yeah, it's just yeah. that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it just it it's, look, it's not going to med school is what he's saying is right, you know exactly. like it's <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just saying like it's it's an a but you know there there but are better it, a's yeah you know. <laughs> nice so. all right well uh with that thank you everybody for <laughs> listening to it <laughs> EMS 2020. I, wow. Yeah. Oh, you're letting me do it. Holy yeah, shit. No, no, no. I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to step aside. Yeah. Cause I, you know what? I think when you just embarrass yourself, it sends my message even better. Nice. There you go. Um, so, new, new episodes sometime. In new the episodes future. every other Wednesday. <laughs> if you need continuing education, which of course you do to maintain your certification and you want it for free, which of course you do because well, it's free. Uh, go ahead and head on over to guardiancme.com. You can check out our content on there and you can actually get continuing education just for listening to EMS 2020. Thank you to the NREMT for making it possible to get all of your continuing education hours for recertification online uh, because now we can get all of them for free. Thanks to guardiancme.com. Head on over, check them out. It's really easy. Uh, also, of course, look out for the rapid sequence information you YouTube channel uh, from us, EMS 2020. That's going to be happening soon. And there's going to be stuff in there that you wouldn't expect. And of course, we're going to be freaking funny. Don't worry about that. Um, there's always that. So yeah. <laughs> wow, uh, a lot of pressure. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't think so. We're just going to, they're just going to be us. I'm going to do some heavy editing uh, and uh, that'll be palatable and we'll, we'll put it out there. Uh, also, uh, on top of, uh, of all that, make sure you check out our social media. We are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook and EMS 2020 show on Instagram. Each and every episode gets its own post. So that way you can go and comment on our uh, shenanigans. Tell us we're wrong uh, because, you know, you do. And uh, yeah. Uh, we and love sometimes it when you you're right us. about us being wrong. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we didn't say you were wrong. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> if you want your episode to be on this show, go ahead and send us an email at ems2020podcast at gmail.com. Uh, with that, Spence, take us out awkwardly. Yo, I'm Granola B. I'm ready to MC. Gonna be the best rapping paramedic nope. in history. I'm nope. crunchy. I'm chewy. When I'm hot, I get gooey. Better wow. in a bag than a pocket if you chew me. And we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks.